Welcome to Simon and White and the podcast at the center of media politics and business. I'm Christian White. We're joined as always by Mark Simon, who is still in Taipei. Mark, say hello. Hi, everybody. All right. Well, big news this uh, last week coming out of Virginia. Uh, some people expected it. For some, it was a complete surprise. Virginia, Mark, where you are from originally, uh, increasingly leaning blue. Joe Biden won it by more than 10 points or about 10 points <laughs> less than one year ago, uh, electing Glenn Youngkin as governor. Also, Republicans swept other statewide seats and also took over the, the uh, House of Delegates, I believe. Yes. Uh, one yeah. of the two houses of the legislature. Right. Um, so, you know, a big news and 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 my theory i know we've been talking about this a lot so young can um you know not exactly sort of like donald trump if you look at his background you would not think this is a blue collar populist man of the people uh willing to fight the culture war kind of guy he was president of carlisle group after all that's pretty white shoe establishment republican at the end of the day but i think here's someone who sort of channels what is best at trump meaning he's willing to fight not afraid of cultural issues not willing to let the media and the democrats define what the issues are he sort of takes the active role uh and is and is adaptable he's not out there talking about marginal tax rates he's talking about what people really find um important here and now which in virginia was uh education and this wokeness that's being inflicted by uh, lefty teachers, school boards, uh, principals, etc. So, you know, my theory is that uh, this actually was a very bad election for, for Donald Trump and that it shows that you can take his ideas and what's best of Trump, but, you know, potentially dispense with the man himself. What do you think? I think what it showed is that the way out for Donald Trump from all of this is to do what he did with Yunkin, basically say, go vote, vote, vote. You got to win. You got to vote to win and stay away from it. In other words, this is his chance. He can rightfully in some way claim to have a hand in this. You know what I'm saying? He got his people out. People who sat home, by the way, when we had a wonderful candidate in Ed Gillespie lose a while back. Ed was a good candidate. I know Ed. He was a solid candidate. And, you know, who wouldn't vote for him? It was the Trump people that wouldn't vote for him because he's not conservative enough. Here's my position, what happened in Virginia. Essentially, and this is why I think you're right, Donald Trump's in trouble. Essentially, they have seen the beast. In other words, everybody down there, they knew their guns were in danger. They knew the school board, they were coming for the school boards. Look, Northern Virginia is probably basically San Francisco East. In other words, it's a super <laughs> liberal, basically controlled by government. I grew up in Fairfax County. Fairfax was, a, you know, Frank Wolf was my congressman for a while. Then after that, we had Stan Paris. It was a Republican area. It was, you know, upper middle class, middle class, white collar people, a lot of Defense Department people. You know, now your neighbor's probably a member of the Natural Resources Defense Council or, you know, some other group that's left wing. It's a government town and in a government town that votes for far left expansionist government. So the fact that, you know, the fact that Yunkin actually turned some of those suburban moms and did some did a little bit better in the rest of the rest of the state was really something. But I agree with you. Look, the problem that we have with Trump is one thing. Donald Trump can't win. That's the problem. Yeah, Donald Trump can win in Alabama, Donald Trump, but Donald Trump can't win in Georgia. It used to be you used to be able to say you can win in Alabama, Georgia, and you can't win in, you know, Maryland. Now, with Trump, he's becoming shorter and shorter. His people are, you know, basically his whole argument is I was ripped off. 
I think that's a reasonable argument, but it's not one that's going to win elections. I myself think you're exactly right. You can fight the fight. You can fight the ideas. And one of the things that I was most impressed about Yunkin was he never backed down. In fact, do you see the mm-hmm. Lincoln Project? Yes, that's a good point. The Lincoln Project put those fake people and those yes. fake racists <laughs> in front the, of the, his bus. The fake tiki torch weirdos, yeah. Yeah. Although the they're, they're genuine weirdos because they're with the Lincoln Project, but, you know, fake white supremacists. Fake white supremacists. But the thing that was really great about Yunkin, which showed you his spirit, is the day after the election, he sent the Lincoln, he sent the Lincoln Project a fruit basket. <laughs> and, that, and that shows you the guy's got it in him. You know what I'm saying? And I think the thing is, is that I do believe that, first of all, I'm not a, I believe critical race theory, whatever you want to talk about it. I just believe parents looked up one day and they saw all this craziness in the schools. But I think what people responded to, what Trump used to respond to, but what Yunkin responded to was not the same thing. He just responded. Trump used to respond to the left's hate with hate back. In other words, you hate me, I'll hate you back. Remember the old, uh, the old uh, diehard, whatever the line is, a, a lethal weapon line from Gamel Gibson, just hate him back. You know, that's what Trump did. And people <laughs> thought that worked. That doesn't work. What you have to do is say, you know what, I'm just going to beat you. And that's what Youngkin did. And look at his, look at, look at, look at the hate coming out now. Yeah. Winsome Sears, African-American woman, you know, Jamaican-American woman, just a Great story, fantastic person. I mean, the, the vitriol coming for her is unbelievable. Uh, a deputy, I mean, the attorney general, Hispanic American. Let me tell you the two big takeaways besides Trump on this. And I think the Trump's thing is exactly right. You know, Adam Kinzinger is going to start looking like an idiot for leaving. Yeah. You know, and quitting. All these guys who are quitting because of Donald Trump. You see, they don't have it in them. You know what I'm saying? You just see mm-hmm. they don't have it in them. Kinzinger should have stayed around and said, hey, I disagree with Donald Trump, but we got a choice. Either we keep this district and we fight and he'd be winning. In fairness to Lynn Cheney, she ain't giving up. And this really does help Lynn Cheney. It's a big boost to her because I think it's going to limit Trump's influence, you know, in a lot of ways. It gives her right. an argument she can win without him. Um, but the, the other big the other big change here was this. First of all, suburban women. And here's my here's my white suburban women and white suburban women, Asian suburban women, upper class Hispanic suburban women. They're seeing groups who are mothers of sons they're, and mothers of, of, of white. Daughters. They're seeing their kids being downgraded in university selections. They're seeing their kids being, you know, basically pushed aside for certain certain projects, certain honors. I heard a story the other day out of Fairfax County that essentially they picked the science club and we'll see if it breaks into a story. They picked the science club. Basically they had like 50 kids sign up for it. They let 20 kids in and then they went to the school to pick 10 minority kids. So there was 20 kids who wanted to be in it, but they couldn't be in it because they had decided that it had to have the proper mix. Now what's (laughs) happened before is a lot of parents would have taken that. But now parents aren't taking that. They're saying, hey, I want everybody to have opportunities. The problem that we have is, and you're a parent, and, I, I, and I'll tell you, you'll notice your attitude changes. You don't, want, you don't want your kid to take something from somebody else's kid, but you don't want your kid to lose out either, all right, for unfair, non-merit reasons. That is what a lot of the people who are commenting on, especially on CNN 
MSNBC, you know what I'm saying? A lot of the people, they don't have kids. And you could see them missing the point. And then mm -hmm. the, the, the commentators with kids would get on there and go, well, you know, I'm not so crazy about this or that. But, you know, I think the CRT stuff, the transgender stuff, I think that was background noise. I think these parents sat back for a year and a half and watched their kids' education go to crap. And then they also saw the teachers basically say, we hate you. We're in charge of your children. Get out of here. Right. And I think that was a huge flip. The second flip, and then I'll stop, is second flip was Hispanic males. Every poll shows, every poll. AP's trying to say they do it. Every poll shows Hispanic males were won by Yunkin. I haven't seen a poll that doesn't show that. Wow. And that's that a big just, deal. Yeah, that should terrify the Democrats. That's, I mean, that was, that's all they have is this sort of uh, demographic... Yeah. Um, you know, it's almost Marxist in its historical inevitability belief. It's <laughs> and, well, Kristen, and if they I'm don't have that, they don't have anything. I'm telling you, the saddest, the saddest meme in the world is like a white liberal male, white left wing male, mm -hmm. because like they're just they're, they have no future in their own party. They have no chance. They're just constantly waiting to be knocked aside. You know what I'm saying? And. But they get no credit, but they're expected to do quite a bit. And if they don't do quite a bit, they're yelled at. You know, I, I kind of notice that when I see, you know, some of these older Dems, you can just see like a Jerry Nadler or something. They just don't know what to do. Right. You know, they're afraid to open their mouth, you know, and, and they have no idea. And, it, and that's over. And that gets to my final point. The moderates are disappearing. They're out of there. And what we're going to see now is we're going to see the Democratic Party become the Labor Party of Britain. Right. Well, on that topic, becoming the Labor Party. So across the river from Northern Virginia in the tree swamp in Washington. Uh, so you have Jerome Powell, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, who has been by any estimate. Uh, so he was tough when Donald Trump was president. He raised rates. And I can understand that. You know, rates were kept low throughout the entire Obama administration because we had this prolonged um, period of stagnation because with Obama's, with the tax hikes, with Obamacare, with waters of the United States, which is intense regulation, basically no one has private property, um, environmental regulations, uh, regulations about how many watts you can have in a light bulb, uh, how many, how much gallons you can have in a toilet. No one knew. And so, uh, you know, what, what the next regulation was, you had slow growth, very low interest rates. Donald Trump gets elected. The economy picks up. Powell tries to raise rates, slows the economy down, takes a tremendous amount of pressure by Donald Trump to get Powell to uh, ease off a little bit. Meanwhile, the Democrats get elected. And, you know, basically, uh, Joe Biden says jump and Jerome Powell says how high. Uh, they've only recently started the beginning of tapering this quantitative easing. Basically, they're just creating dollars, inventing dollars, uh, buying mortgages, buying government debt. Every time, you know, we had $3.7 trillion in deficit spending in the last fiscal year, uh, half of federal expenditures were borrowed. That's just money that was created by the Federal Reserve. That wasn't people snapping up bonds uh, in the private sector or some you know, World War II style, you know, patriotic buying of, of U.S. bonds. Anyway, we're not going to curtail that right now, even though the economy is humming along and we have real inflation, especially in food. It's going to taper through June. Uh, the market thinks there'll be two or three interest rate hikes in 2022. We'll see. Anyway, despite that intensely accommodative 
um, monetary policy, the fact that Jerome Powell has basically acted like he's not independent, uh, at least not of Democratic presidents, he's basically like a DAS, a deputy assistant secretary over at the, the Treasury Department, uh, that still isn't good enough for Elizabeth Warren, and it may not be good enough for Joe Biden. His term is up in January, and the progressives want Lael Brainard, who is uh, wife of Kurt Campbell, uh, Asia policy supremo, um, over at the White House and a woman who's seen as even more accommodative, more in favor of regulating finance, more of, frankly, Elizabeth Warren's type of person. Um, and it's unclear. I mean, maybe Biden just met with her for the sake of meeting with her. It's odd that he needed to meet with Powell. I think they two uh, know each other pretty well by now, you'd hope. But um, what do you think here? Is this just that it seems like despite the election, the Democrats are still listening to AOC and Elizabeth Warren? Well, that's because that's the base of their party. I mean, look, I, I, I think that, first of all, I think despite all the headwinds, basically, you see how strong the economy was. I mean, let's just remember November, December 2019, they were flipping out because there was no way you're going to beat Donald Trump with those kind of stock market growth and all these things, go, everything happening. I do think the economy is doing OK right now. I think it's going to pick up. The problem is inflation's killing people. And it's really killing people. And, and this is where we have the, 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 the basically the, uh, the breakout in the country. Again, back to Virginia, Northern Virginia, all government workers, all everybody sitting at home, everybody working at home, everybody saying, oh, I can't go to the office, Whole Foods, all that good stuff. Their life is fine. South, Midwest, Southwest Virginia, factories closed, hotels closed, uh, schools, you know, different type of lifestyle. Uh, those people cannot work from home. Guess what? That means that, you know, it was a diff it was a harder life on them. Jerome Powell is probably the best we're ever going to see. My belief is, is that they have to stop, start the tapering some. They have to get us. What are we spending? A hundred billion dollars a week or every two weeks. That's a lot of money buying debt that nobody else wants. The Chinese don't even want the debt. Nobody wants the debt. And so you're going to start taking bond yields up or something like that. And then we'll have to see. Look, you see it coming. You see it happening. As far as replacing Jerome Powell, a large part of me would like to see it because if somebody's digging a hole, why stop him? <laughs> right, she, she's, right. This woman's not qualified. <laughs> she's not qualified for the job. Um, you know, uh, she's, she's basically what the, who the progressives want. She will do exactly what Elizabeth Warren and the progressives want. She will sound more like the Secretary of Treasury than she will the Federal Reserve Chair. I think this whole idea that something happens and she will get the whole, you know, you're great, you're great thing from the media for about three months. And then we'll see what happens. But I, I, I myself, I think the only thing that would stop her from coming in is in the midterm, she would have to be confirmed. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. The Republicans could drag that out. I doubt Manchin would go for her. SEMA would probably be okay. But you might get some people who are coming up who don't want to vote that way. You know what I'm saying? Look, this Yunkin thing sent real shockwaves to the Democratic Party. And the, 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 it's a much deeper thing. When we talk about the British Labor Party, Kristen, you hit on it. Let me give you an example of like the 11th district, or let me give you an example of Virginia with Don Byer. Um, in, in the 11th district of New Jersey, you have uh, Mikey Sherrill, Naval Academy graduate, quite solid. In Democrat, Virginia, correct? Demo yeah. Democrat, mm -hmm. all Democrats. Mm -hmm. Don Byer, 
He's a rich guy. He owns a, a Volvo dealership. He's an establishment, old school Democrat Republican, you know, old school Virginian. Go to their meetings. And I've been to them. Go to the meetings that they have. They are sitting in the room with Antifa. Okay. Their activist <laughs> base in their district is insane. I mean, they are absolutely crazy. And you see it. And so if they want to keep their job, they're not worried about other people. They have to keep that activate base happy. Who doesn't care? I mean, like, you know, I've, I went to a Mikey Sherrill thing one time and I was sitting in the back room and I could see her. She looked, I mean, they, they had people talking about, you know, the, what they had to do. Why wasn't she prosecuting Trump? You know, um, I mean, just nutty stuff. And, and it was it's kind of like, yeah, the right wingers have that. But in our districts, for the most part, it kind of, you know, the conservatives, they line up. You know what I'm saying? In other words, if you're a moderate, if you're a moderate Republican, and you have a super conservative guy, you're OK. Or if you're a cons or if you're a moderate Republican, the conservatives, they know what's on the left. So they kind of leave you alone. I think the Democrats are in real trouble here. And I think I think people are out of their mind if they think that. You you take out Jerome Powell and you put her in and you try to confirm her. Oh, my God. You know, Kevin McCarthy's stinking it up in the house, but Mitch McConnell still knows how to have a fight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's one that people can really understand, uh, you know, for the longest time. With inflation, there was this, there was this uh, you know excuse. Oh, it's non-core inflation. Well, non-core inflation is things like energy and food. I mean, that's what I consume on any given week. I fill up my car. I go to the supermarket. It's not like I'm out buying a gas turbine engine from GE or a new 787 from Boeing. It's it's in the areas that people feel and see viscerally that uh, inflation is the worst. So it's an odd case where something which is usually sort of this obscure area of economists and academics and um, experts uh, and, who might really jump in. And let's forget, rent is generally not including housing, is generally not including in CPI. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What's going up across the board? All Rents are going up. Being a landlord, I can assure you rents are going up. You know what I'm saying? Because we can. <laughs> right. All right. The rents are going up. Now, if I raise somebody's rent 6%, okay, that's, well, for this person, that's $120 a month more, okay? 120 bucks comes out of their pocket every month. I haven't, we haven't raised this, these, we haven't raised rents in these units in four years, but we finally just said, look, we're getting hit with inflation. You know, all our, the contractors coming over are raising the prices, Everybody agreed to it because we got a great place with a great location. But all of a sudden, you're sitting back going, holy crap, inflation, 6%. That's 120 a month. You know what I'm saying? And then milk's more. So I think it's a big deal. I think it's a really big deal. Um, if, they, if, they put, if they push him out, I don't know. What, what will the markets do? I'm not so sure it even matters. Right. But I do think politically, when the economy goes in the tank and they've got a wild-eyed progressive sitting there, I think that's it. And again, let's just be perfectly honest. What is it with the Biden administration and the swamp? The whole place. It's unbelievable. It's like, you know, the national security advisor, Jake Sullivan, who I actually like, but his wife's over at the Justice Department, his brother's over at State Department, sister-in-law at Housing and Human Services. 
the family business. With the Democrats, government is the family business. If that's what it's become. It's <laughs> a good point. All right, let's switch to a media story. Um, so the FBI, uh, you know, great news. They're out and, you know, the people who are organizing riots, the Antifa people who tore Portland apart, Portland, Seattle, places like that, the FBI just raided uh, them and did a search warrant. I'm actually just kidding. The FBI didn't do that. What they did do was um, search James O'Keefe's house. I, in, know, I uh, saw that. That's in New unbelievable. York, just outside the city. And this is uh, the boss of Project Veritas. They've been very effective, essentially, in stinging uh, a number of organizations, including CNN, um, getting them, getting basically employees to admit what we suspect uh, about their biases uh, and their political objectives. So this is someone who's hated by the left, uh, apparently came to possess this organization, Joe Biden's daughter's diary, which was stolen somehow. They received it. They decided um, that they couldn't authenticate it, didn't use it, and actually turned it over to law enforcement. So I'm not sure what's left to search in O'Keefe's house. But, you know, this, um, I think, just reinforces uh, that the FBI, the Justice Department, has a political objective. I mean, point to me, uh, with the exception of, um, you know, the person uh, who was recently indicted for lying to the FBI as a result of Russiagate, basically the fake dossier on Trump. He was one of the sources and then lied to the FBI. But aside from that, which was actually an independent counsel within the Justice Department handing down an indictment, yeah. I mean, does the FBI prosecute uh, Democrats or just Republicans? I, I, I actually, you know, I, I know a couple of, we all know FBI agents and, you know, they're fine people. But the simple point is, is like when you look at who was promoted in the FBI mm -hmm. under the Obama administration and you see the basically the politicalization of the of the FBI, McCabe, his wife was a big, you know, she took how much money from Hillary Clinton, you know what I'm saying? And, 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 and the Clinton campaign. Look, I, I think it's a sad day. I think the FBI is not credible in the eyes of many, many Americans now. And I don't think it's just a right-wing fantasy thing. It's a big deal. James Veritas is a journalistic organization. Whether you like them or not, they have broken real stories. They have moved, they have moved the needle. Going into his house, and I, I'm sure the reason is going to be they said, well, we think a copy was made. Well, then why are you going to get a copy? Right. And the lawyers can send a letter and get a copy. What are they going for? What are they doing here? They are a, a journalism organization gets all kinds of it's First Amendment. I mean, there's a wide, wide range there. OK, he doesn't do everything else. Plus, has like a journalism arm. That's what they do. This is what they do. I think to tell you the truth, you're exactly right. I think there's an impression in America today that the only people that get in trouble with the FBI are Republicans. And mm -hmm. I think the idea that what's coming out in this, you know, in this, in this from, Dur from Dun Dun Durham, you know, we're basically, we're now saying the Clinton campaign and the Clintons paid this guy. They organized everything. They worked with all these people. Major law firms were involved. And this guy's unraveling it all right now, which I'm sure Trump's going to be upset it didn't happen before then. But actually, I, I, I wonder if the swamp can change. I, I really wonder. I, I, I have a serious belief that maybe the FBI has to be reformed. Mm -hmm. In other words, 
it has to be moved out. We have to have maybe, quite frankly, something like that used to be in Hong Kong that worked quite effectively is something like an ICAC, the, the, the Commission Against Corruption. And they just, they just do corruption crimes. They just do political corruption. And they have to go in both directions. They have a bipartisan oversight committee, you know what I'm saying? Um, um, and, and, and that's the way they move forward. Um, the problem you have is, is that the left will corrupt everything. That's the problem. Right. right. I mean, you know I mean I, I, yeah, yeah that's, that's the problem. I mean, once you gave that, but I think the FBI, mm-hmm. as far as the FBI investigating anything political anymore, I think they need to get out of it. They're, they're not capable. That's a great point. Get them out of it. Get them back to cops and robbers and counterterrorism, maybe. Exactly. Um, and, you know, you, have, you make a good point that there are many fine agents and I've had the opportunity to work with with uh, many of them. And it's sort of like the State Department when you're out in the field, if you're out at an embassy, right. young Foreign Service officers, patriotic, committed, knows the grindstone doing their jobs. You go back to headquarters. And that's where you get the snakes who are playing political games. And it seems like eight years of Obama, uh, Trump failed utterly, uh, if he even tried at, at, at clearing people like that out. Uh, certainly that was never on Jeff Sessions' uh, to-do list over at the Justice Department. So Yeah, I mean, my, my rule is like, my rule is it's the reason why Bob Zolik would never work for me or McCabe or anybody else. Anybody who fits the role of the evil government villain and central casting, you know what I'm saying? Shouldn't be in government. And if you look at McCabe and you look at all these people, they like, it's like when they sit down, you're going like, who didn't see this coming? You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's right. not like, you know, you look at them and it's like, and then I, the always gets me is always their resumes. Now Zolik's not that way. He's first team in fairness to him, but you always look at these guys who climb up in the bureaucracy and you wonder, you know, it's my Fauci issue. I'm so mm-hmm. much of a, I'm so people would call me greedy, but I'm too much of a capitalist. How many times could Fauci have left government and just made a crap load of money for his family? Oh, he's the highest paid government employee there is. What does that mean? Right. <laughs> he doesn't, he's doing OK. All right. But he's decidedly middle upper class. I mean, why didn't he go do the Scott Gottlieb thing? You know what I'm saying? He could have done Gottlieb did it. He could have done it. You know, what's Gottlieb right. making a couple of million a year now? I mean, oh. you know. And, and, yeah. and still gets to run his mouth on CNBC. These guys I, I, have uh, have James Jesus Angleton written all over them. Oh, who I met. I used to do his roses. <laughs> Excellent. Swear to God. For, for the audience, this is the, the head of counterintelligence at the CIA who thought there was a Soviet it's, spy behind and, every bush. And it's a great book because it was it did show you the how it was the swamp even back then. One of his best friends was Ben Bradley at the Washington Post. In fact, that's what that's what protected him for so long. Was he he, he was just such an insider. He knew everybody. Mm. All right. Well, finally, uh, you know, speaking of Washington and the swamp, there was a movie, I think, was it called Thank You for, for Smoking? It was uh, yes, it I love that a movie. joke about lobbyists and things like that. Tobacco lobbyists, gun lobbyists. Uh, I forget what the third the third angle was. Uh, thank you for not giving. Um, this is a, a, something I want to write on my Christmas cards and get them out earlier. City Journal, which is uh, a media property of the Manhattan Institute, a great think tank in New York. Um, there's an article out by two people who graduated from MIT who've said they've, they've given 
um, significantly over the years. But as a result of MIT's growing wokeness, firing um, people, you know, uh, you have these professors, we've been hearing, oh, tenure, protection, intellectual freedom. And but if you express a conservative thought or opposition to wokeness, bang, somehow you're fired. Tenure doesn't work for those people. Um, and a curriculum that's moving away from science and math and getting more and more woke. Finally, just people saying, do not give. And I, I uh, you know, MIT is one thing. And it, frankly, you know, I went to Tulane, which uh, wasn't exactly, you know, it's not like Smith College. And I didn't exactly take comparative, you know, lesbian literature. So I found a little precinct of the college that was uh, at least uh, conservative, non-political, et cetera. But you have, um, you know, these institutions just going farther and farther mm -hmm. and left and still Americans who uh, are non-political or centrist or conservative giving significant funds. Do you think, do you think that's going to end? Should it end? I think what will happen is they'll get smarter about how they take the money. I think you have to understand. I mean, I, I working and having worked for some major families before, you know, in, in wealth management, I think I'm always struck by the dishonesty of some of these universities when they come to people. It's just all—it's just always amazing to me how dishonest they are. And you know, oh, give us this, give us that. You know, we'd love to get this from you. We'd love to get that from you. We'd love to get all these things from you. And then you know, you give them the money, you turn around, and you know, they're 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 teaching crazy stuff that you don't believe in, but they just want your cash. Um, I think some of them are so big now. I mean, if you're you have Harvard with fifty billion, or if you're Text, I mean, if you're UVA with $7 billion, you know, it, they'll get their money in other ways and they'll trade it in. But for you as an individual, here's investment advice. Investment advice you can bank on. Any money you give is not going to help your kid get in college anymore unless it's just massive. But if you're giving $10,000, $20,000, $5,000 a year to your university, that's not going to help your kid. They, you're the enemy now in the eyes of these admissions guys because they don't want your money and they're, they're happy to have taken it and let it go. I believe in local giving. Like, you know, I still give to my kids, elementary Catholic elementary school. Uh -huh. um, I buy them stuff. What do you need, sister? I need this. Okay. I get it for them. My daughter, my son's school. I still try to find if there's time for me to give them something. I believe in these educational programs. I think the idea of just writing a check to somebody is ridiculous. Now, and who, who's, who's not going to do what you want? Universities have plenty of money. They don't need the money. They're not using the money for anything but building programs. One of these days, one of these days, and it's coming, someone's going to start rating universities on the effectiveness of the, of the, of the staff. You know, you go to uh, somebody, what was it school? Somebody told me the other day, oh, Columbia. If you go to Columbia, if it was an army, you'd have like 20,000 guys in the rear and 10 guys up front fighting. I mean, <laughs> right. The, num the number of non-teaching non people, you know what I'm saying, who are getting in right. front of the students, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. It's like, it was something like six to one, literally like six to one. And I don't even think they were counting the janitors, you know, who are contractors. That's right. I it's mean, not just, it used to be the liberal professors who were 
sort of the vanguard of the left. And, and now that's not the problem. It's, it's the 18 provosts for diversity, inclusion, and equity who are making well into the six figures. That's where- I, you know, I never found the professors to be a problem. My, my mm -hmm. favorite two professors in college, one was a communist who had to leave the Marine Corps because of it. I love Dr. <laughs> Huff. But you know, he, he, he encouraged, and then I had another guy who was this, you know, actually he was preaching climate change but I think he was talking about the Ice Age. That's how old I am, you know. But he was preaching the. He was talking about the Ice Age, back years ago, and it was an amazing, amazing thing to listen to the guy. But he was open. I think where there's a chance for discussion and things like that, you're okay. The problem on college campuses now is you give money, and that money funds a provost who basically doesn't even let the discussion happen in the professor's class. And if the professor brings it up. Then the professor has somebody coming around the back for him. You know what I'm saying? I mean, could you imagine what was that movie, The Paper Chase, the TV show about the maybe about like the college professor, you know, who sure. was this arrogant old uh, guy? Harvard Law School. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Harvard. Could you imagine? He would he would be out in a week. Yeah, he would. Yes. No, it they'd would, throw him would, out in yeah. a week because because <laughs> because somebody said something. All right, Our next thing, what we need to talk about is companies to avoid because they're woke. You know, go, and we, we really need to go back to the go woke, go broke. But I think these universities, I think the big ones, just don't give them your money. For God's sake, don't give them your money. Give your money locally. I, can I tell you something? I, I, if you give $5,000 to like the local private or the local charter school, or if you walk over to them like two max, you know what I'm saying? Just go buy two max and give them to them. Oh, my God. It is such a good feeling. It's such a great feeling. And I've done it. You give it to them, and all of a sudden, there's 20 kids a day using that computer. You know oh. what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's impact. It's your money has impact. And I think most programs in schools know how to do it. Heck, you know, give, give money to, you know, a local old people's group. Give money to anybody. You know what I'm saying? I, I just, I'm a firm believer in that. You should give and give generously. But for God's sakes, don't write a check off to... Harvard University or Georgetown. I don't give, I don't give <laughs> right. Georgetown or East Carolina a nickel. Yeah, you know? no, I don't give Tulane or UCLA anything either. All right, I, so next episode, I, we're back to uh, go woke, go broke, picking on woke corporations and telling you who not to invest in. Uh, in the meantime, thank you for not giving. And that's all the time we have for this episode. Uh, we'll see you again soon.